Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, guys. Welcome to Work Party, the podcast. I'm Jacqueline Johnson, your host, and today we are talking about the negotiations we make as modern working women. You know, those tough conversations that crop up during work, things like salary negotiations, diversity inclusion initiatives or problems, the termination of low-performing employees, dealing with criticism, sexual harassment, and drama, drama, drama we all face. Many of these conversations are difficult to have, even uncomfortable. But to quote someone who I don't remember who said this, sometimes the only way out is through. Okay, I do know who said that, I Googled it. It's Robert Frost, but that's neither here nor there because today we are talking through tough talks. You gotta have them, whether it's with yourself, your boss, your friends, or your cohorts. So here's the thing about negotiations. They come in all shapes and sizes. And for me, there are a few type of negotiations that I deal with day to day. One is the negotiation of being a self-funded business owner. Now, it could be the same as being a VC-backed business owner. I honestly don't know. But for me, there are certain things I've sacrificed over the 10 years I've been doing this. And that includes time with loved ones. I work around the clock. Being an entrepreneur means never taking a break. It's jumping off a cliff without question. It's not ever thinking or saying no to an opportunity that could be helpful for your business. And that means you just don't get that much time to hang. I've missed group trips, dinners, birthdays, births, you name it. The second thing I've sacrificed is friendships, and typically the people I work with type of friendships. Work and friendship are a tough combination, especially when you're the boss. When companies scale quickly, when you see some financial success or even financial failure, and absolutely when shit gets hard, your team and the people around you will either show up or bail out. And honestly, there's no right or wrong answer to when that happens. Especially when you're running the show though, when it's your name on the line, it's hard to reconcile when someone close to you, someone involved in your company, especially long-term, chooses not to show up for you or the company for whatever reason. It can be soul crushing. You can honestly curl up on your 
couch and cry for days and days and days, keep telling yourself it's just business, it's not personal. But here's the thing, business is hard. It's hard as fuck sometimes. And sometimes you just have to roll with the punches. And the other negotiation, especially when starting out, was around my worth and getting paid. I had so many clients at first tell me I was charging way too much or that they wanted to work with me, but for 50% of what I was asking. But after doing my market research, I realized I was not charging a lot, but I was new, fresh, and honestly needed the money. I had to negotiate with myself when starting out. Am I willing to work for free? Am I willing to work for less? And oftentimes I said yes. And sometimes that worked out really well. And sometimes I was absolutely being taken advantage of. These type of negotiations will become a day in and day out occurrence of your life, no matter what you do, whether you're an employee, an entrepreneur, even a stay at home mom. Today we're exploring these topics and more with a few of my favorite women. So let's go ahead and bring in our expert, Karen Okonkwo. I'm so excited to have Karen joining us as our work party expert today. I met Karen at our Seattle conference last year. Uh, She was an attendee that blew my entire team away with her drive and energy. Uh, She is the amazing co-founder of Tonal, T-O-N-L, a company looking to disrupt the billion-dollar stock photography industry by focusing on images of diverse people and around representing stories from around the world, truly shifting the narrative for big business. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on your podcast. Yay. Amazing. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Tonal and, and how that kind of got started. Yeah, so Tonal is basically a diverse stock photography business that aims to just challenge the way that media is currently looking in terms of imagery. And really where it stemmed from was I started a blog with two of my sorority sisters called The Sorority Secrets. And we got really successful very quickly. And we were creating our own content, but we would also pull content that was online. And it didn't occur to me until a friend pulled me aside and he said, hey, Karen, out of curiosity, how come you don't show any black people on the story secrets? And I'm African-American, so to have that pointed out to me, it embarrassed me because I didn't realize that I was subconsciously only showcasing one race. And so what I decided to do was basically step away, look on the online and see what was out there so then I could really show true representation. And unfortunately, I could not find anything. And while that particular blog fizzled away, that still haunted me that I couldn't find imagery of just various people of different ethnic backgrounds. And so that's when I decided to reach out to Joshua Kissy who is the co-founder of Street Etiquette. And I knew that he was a really famous photographer, very well known in the creative community. And I wanted him to do the business. I thought it would be a great shift in his career and something that needed to to actually um, come to fruition, but I did not want to do it. Sometimes I think a lot of people get excited um, when they hear about the idea, but little do they know that I, I, I didn't want to do it and he didn't want to do it by himself. So we didn't, we decided just not to do it. So seven months go by and in between that time, unfortunately, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were killed by police. And all the while the media was portraying them like they were thugs, like they were villains, like, like they were nothing. Mm-hmm. And Josh just came back to me and he's like, Karen, what better time than now to take back our narratives? 
to showcase our people for the amazing people that they are. And so we sat on it, we prayed on it, and we decided to pull the trigger and go full throttle in planning it. And then we launched it in August of 2017. Congratulations. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think about something, it's so obvious, but it's just a missed opportunity. It's something that you don't think about until someone points it out. And then you're like, wow, I actually, this does not exist. Um, and then finding that hole in the market and really going for it. And obviously it has a much bigger mission and meaning to you guys as well. Um, but let's, yes. let's break it down. So how do you define representation? So for me, representation is essentially depicting what the world looks like from your socioeconomic status to your ethnic background, to your religion, to your race. You know, representation basically means that the room is not filled with people that all look the same mm-hmm. and come from the same background. It means that you can have one person who identifies as, you know, homosexual, while you have another person who is is Muslim. But the idea is that it's important for you to understand and recognize people's differences, but it's also important for you to embrace it and respect it. And that's the issue that I think that we currently have right now. Absolutely. And I and I also think this is a conversation that people are having outside of the office or, or previously were having outside of the office. And now it's, you know, luckily and, and, and hopefully is happening more inside work environments. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of movement, but obviously not enough to see real change. Um, what do you think? Why do you think, you know, this change is starting to happen now? These conversations are becoming more frequent. And how can we all do a better job at having these important conversations in the workplace? To be honest, if you look at history, a lot of change happens when people are impacted financially. Mm. And I believe that right now, when you look at Me Too, you know, when you look at just the the racial injustices, it's costing these organizations money. And so unfortunately, I believe that money is what's causing the shift for organizations to pay better attention toward equal representation and just justice for people. And so I think that the way that we can definitely combat that is to hire people who are of different ethnic backgrounds. It sounds like a no brainer. It sounds so simple. But unfortunately, what we're finding is that, you know, people who maybe identify as Caucasian are the ones who are tasked to go out there and create representation. And it's not to say that people who are Caucasian don't have a diverse circle of friends. However, I do think that it needs to come from the lens of people who are diverse because then that opens up a whole new world. And so that's where it starts is actually hiring and bringing on people who are of different ethnic backgrounds outside of Caucasian. Absolutely. And who do you think, um, if anyone, is doing that well from like a corporate lens or like a business lens? To be honest, and I'm not trying to do a shameless plug for you guys, but I say every single day when I talk to people, Create and Cultivate is doing that. I mean, you go on your guys' Instagram, you guys do not skip a beat in terms of representing different women. And sometimes people make it trendy. They'll throw in one black girl and then they'll cater, you know, like two dozen other Caucasian women. And I found that you guys do that the best I have not seen anyone do it to your guys' caliber, to be quite honest. Oh, my God. Thank you. That that means so much. I mean, I think for us, and, and, and just to be totally honest, like, you know, I've had Create and Cultivate for six years. And, you know, when I was first starting the business, it was really just like trying to make it a business in general and, and even get people to attend. And, um, you know, over the past, I would say, four years, it's it's really come to the forefront of our, of our business and company. And it's something we meet on regularly and ensure we have diverse perspectives across the board, not only internal 
internally as a staff, but what we're portraying externally, who's speaking, who's in the room. Um, I think it's so important. And, um, you know, even on my side, talking to some of these bigger brands, it's been interesting because all of a sudden I'm being directed to their diversity and inclusion branch. Um, you know, and again, obviously these are massive companies, but it, it's exciting. And, and, you know, for them, it's, it's their only, uh, it's their only job is to make sure this is happening, which, which has been really kind of, you know, exciting to hear. Um, but obviously, like you said, there's a lot more work to be done. Um, but thank you so much for that amazing compliment. Um, so photography and storytelling can help humanize marginalized communities and diminish stereotypes. What are some of the ways that larger brands and organizations can do more with their influence and reach? So one of the things that I think is important is imagery. And for example, if you were to see that a company is putting on an event and all of the assets associated with this event are showing one race, then psychologically what that's telling other people of different races is that this is not an event for them. Mm -hmm. Now, in theory, that's probably not the case. But unfortunately, that is psychologically what a lot of people go through. And I speak from experience, from speaking to women of different ethnic backgrounds where they feel like that's not an event for them. And so industries can do a better job of showcasing people of different ethnic backgrounds in the things that they're pushing. Not only that, I have found it to be really successful for brands to bring in different ethnic backgrounds of different organizations. So for example, Tonal, ran by two African-Americans, to come and speak and be a voice to show them you know, tangibly how they can incorporate more diverse conversations. And a great brand that did that was REI. They called us in, they had us do a presentation, and that really works the mind of the employees. And a lot of them came up to us and said, wow, I didn't realize that some of the way that I was speaking could have been offensive. I didn't realize that some of the images I was portraying could show that I'm not being inclusive. And so it really just allowed the, the brands to know that it wasn't just, oh, we're gonna shoot out um, a diversity and inclusion test to ensure that you're diverse and inclusive. You know, they're actually sh like doing activities to, to push that. That's amazing. And and that's such a good I mean, that's so great to hear that REI was doing that. I mean, if you think about the out outdoor space in general, um, like in my my mind, I think of like mountain men, like white mountain. You know what I mean? Because that's that's the images that are per typically portrayed from companies like that. But like to your point, the camping audience or the hiking audience or whatever is super diverse, um, but it's just not showcase that way and again psychologically you're probably thinking well they're not talking to me anyway um but that's great to hear that they're moving in the right direction um and i think that's so important um so one of the biggest questions that actually we get and that i think is on a lot of people's minds is how do i be an advocate for people of color and and specifically obviously for the create and cultivate community women of color within a corporate environment how do we push for change without rocking the boat or do you think rocking the boat is the only way to make change i think that rocking the boat is the only way to make change but unfortunately people's perception of rocking the boat is a little extreme so for example rocking the boat could be trying to push the voice of someone who you know in the room has great ideas, but has been overshadowed, say, by the white males in the, in the group. Mm -hmm. So you speaking up and saying, hey, you know, um, Antonia, who is maybe Eritrean, has a great voice. And I don't know who coined it, but there's someone in the, in the industry who coined, like, 
I, I heard from one of these industries out there or, or a company, and I, I forgive me, I want to give them their credit, um, but there's something where they said that when you hear someone speaking in a, in a meeting who is underrepresented, have an alliance where all of you will echo or repeat what they said. So then their voice isn't overshadowed by, say, the white male in the room taking that idea. I think that's such an important uh, message and, and, and probably super effective, I would imagine. Um, so that's a really amazing tip. And I also love your tip about, you know, joining or like you said, attending meetings, going to a club, you know, just getting involved and in, in, in just saying, hey, I'm here. I'm showing up. I want to know what I can do uh, to, to help and support, I think is so important. You know, this whole episode's about taboo topics and negotiations we make in the workplace. So a, a big taboo topic for our audience is really equal pay. Um, um, so what tactics or tips would you give to women to ensure that they're being compensated fairly? Um, you know, and, and specifically, you know, women of color are paid far less than white women. Um, what can uh, white women do to support women of color um, to make sure that they're being compensated for the same work? You know, half the battle is understanding and knowing that you're being underpaid in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was really important for me to understand in corporate America. I do medical sales, so it was a little bit harder for me to determine how much I was getting paid against my um, white male counterparts. And so what I decided to do is I decided to keep track of all the things that I was doing in alignment with my role and more. And so therefore, when you're approaching your, your boss or your manager and you're asking for a raise, they don't have any holes. They, don't, they can't say anything like, oh, well, you haven't done this, this, and this, because you actually have tangible evidence as to, to support what you've done beyond that. Now, I'm very well aware that in spite of all that, and unfortunately, there's still that form of discrimination. And, and in situations like that, I think that it's important for you to understand that human resources is your friend. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people feel very... Um, very scared to go to human resources because they're, they have a fear of retaliation, but you're protected against that. So if at any point you feel like you're being treated unfairly, have all the tangible evidence in front of you, and then you'll be able to, to, to definitely um, accelerate your voice. So as far as what white women can do, I think that it's important for them to also be a reference. You know, allow them to say that, hey, you know, if there's any situation where I need someone to be a referral for me, are you open to me putting your name down? And and not really balking on that, really being steadfast and, and being that that partner to that person who's underrepresented. I love that. And um, I always like I always forget that you have a full time job. Um, so you do medical sales currently, correct? I am. I'm at the tail end of it, but yes. Okay. So, and you've been running Tonal as well, correct? Yes. So so how has that been? Because I think our audience, literally the number one question is like, when do I quit my full-time job and follow my full-time passion? And it's a a really hard question to answer. Um, So tell me a little bit about your journey, if you're open open to it, um, and, and sort of any advice you have for women that might be in that position. So it's twofold. For me, I'm very much a numbers person. So I actually have created a budget sheet that shows me how much I'm making, what my expenses are. And then I have goal set with Tonal to ensure that it's able to replace my income. And so I'm positioning myself to step away from my job here 
um, in the middle of 2019. That's the projection here. You know, what, what's important is for you not to feel like if you don't do what I'm doing, that you can't step away from your job. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone will tell you that there's a feeling, you just know. You know when it's time to totally let go because sometimes you holding on is actually holding you back from excelling with your side business. And so I'm at that point. I'm really at that point where, yes, I have it all budgeted out. Yes, I know exactly the date that I plan on stepping away. But I also am well aware that if I start to feel like this is not right for me, I do not feel held hostage. And, and, and that's actually where I'm at right now is just, I'm, I'm going with the flow right now. Um, but I won't be here for long. I love that. And I think that's such an amazing response and I love it because it's a little bit of heart and a little bit of head. It's like, I got like the finance piece. I got like the organization and the, and the chart and the budget, but I also am like following my heart and my instinct and my gut, which I think is the perfect combination and exactly what you need to be feeling when you're about to make that leap. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Karen. You are such a badass and such a pleasure to talk to. Um, and can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me on social media at Karen Okonkwo, K-A-R-E-N-O-K-O-N-K-W-O. And for Tonal, it's at T-O-N-L. We're at www.tonl.co. And you have to check it out. The the images are absolutely gorgeous and amazing and affordable, and you should absolutely use them um, if you have a business that requires it. So thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. All right, let's check in with our marketing coordinator, Teal, and get the latest with Create and Cultivate. Tell us the deets, Teal. Hey, party starters. So we always make it a point to address the tough conversations over here at CNC. Our conferences usually include a whole panel dedicated to one or more of those topics that get that outdated taboo label. Very true. We've had conversations about gender bias, equal pay, diversity and inclusion, handling emotions in the workplace, and so much more. On the blog today, we're sharing some things that you can negotiate up front when you're interviewing for a job. You've got to remember to think outside the box. I love this one. Really thinking about what benefits would truly benefit you. Right. Like a cell phone bill covered, a gym membership, more PTO. Anything is up for grabs when you're having these negotiation conversations. Love this idea. Thanks, Teal. No problem. Let us know your negotiation tactics in our Facebook group, Create and Cultivate. Sharing is caring, ladies. Season one of Work Party, the podcast, is brought to you by LinkedIn. Before we introduce you to our special guests, allow us to introduce you to LinkedIn, the world's largest professional network and our partner for season one of Work Party, the podcast. LinkedIn is a community of over 500 million professionals that are ready to help, support, inspire, and push you to achieve your goals. Whatever your definition of success is, there are people on LinkedIn that can help you get there. Okay, so now for our main guest, let's welcome to the Work Party Podcast, the brains behind B-School, an eight-week online course that is basically business boot camp. Also, the woman behind Marie TV, she hosts her own podcast, is a motivational speaker and life coach, and an all-around badass boss. Welcome, Marie Forleo. Today, we are talking about negotiations. And what I mean by that is both the art of negotiating in your business, of course, but also the negotiations we make with ourselves along the way. So first things first, let's hear a little bit about you and your background and how you got to do what it is that you do. 
Well, taking it back old school, I was one of those people, uh, really old school, one of those kids who had like 17 things I wanted to be when I grow up. I don't know if anyone listening can relate, but the list was very long between writer and speaker and teacher and artist and dancer and actor and all of these things. You know, when I got out of school, I was just like hoping that magically they would coalesce and turn into a ideal career. That didn't happen. Uh, I started off on Wall Street on the New York Stock Exchange as a trading assistant. And after about six months there, really trying to fit in and be one of the guys and all that stuff, I was dying a slow death. I knew that that was not going to be my path in life. I had this small voice inside that said, this is not who you're meant to be. This is not what you're meant to be doing. But the problem, Jackie, was that small voice didn't tell me what I was supposed to be doing instead. Um, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. That was a very big deal. So I had a lot of guilt on my shoulders Mm -hmm. thinking, how can I quit a good paying job with healthcare, with, uh, you know, coming out of school with debt, um, just because I don't like it. <laughs> and, you know, one day I was actually on the floor of the stock exchange and, uh, I was starting to have a panic attack. I was finding it hard to breathe and I was getting a little dizzy and I told my boss, you know, Oh, I'm, I need to run out and get some coffee. And instead I made a beeline to the nearest church, which was a church called Trinity church. And I just sat on those steps and I cried my eyes out because I felt like (laughs) such a loser. And this was back in the day when we still had flip phones. And the only thing I could think to do was to call my dad because again, I felt such tremendous guilt and just felt horrible knowing how much my parents sacrificed to put me through school and knowing that I wanted to quit. And my dad said something so pivotal to me that really set me on the trajectory for what I do now. In the middle of my tears and all my blood ring, he's like, "Re, calm down, take a breath. You've been working since you were nine years old. You've never not worked. You babysit, you work at Carvel ice cream. You've taken tickets at the beach. You're constantly working. He's like, if you hate this job as much as it sounds like you're hating it and you're crying right now, He's like, you have to quit. I'm not worried about you making ends meet. You'll do whatever you have to do, but you're going to be working for the next 40 or 50 years of your life. You have to find what you love and you can't stop looking until you find it. Don't settle because your life is going to be miserable if you do that. And hearing those words from him, Jackie, it switched something in me. First of all, I trusted him. Second of all, it gave me a little bit of relief from that Mm. deep that I felt. Yeah. But it really set me on a path. And I went on an odyssey, girl. Man, I was trying to figure out who I was meant to be. I worked in magazines. I worked in ad sales. I worked in the fashion editorial department of Mademoiselle magazine. Like I tried so many different things and I kept failing and failing and failing. And I felt like uh, at a certain point, and this was a few years of trying different things, trying to find the right place for myself. I was like, is there something wrong with me? Am I broken? Like, can I not be an employee? What is going on? And this, by the way, not to brag, but I had graduated as a valedictorian of my class. So I'm like, here I am with all of these supposedly, you know what I mean? Like high expectations of myself. <laughs> So much pressure. Yes. And I couldn't keep the job. Like I wanted to quit everywhere. So here was what was really set me on the path of, of coaching and personal development and business development was one day I was on work when I shouldn't have been. And this is like 1999. So this is very, very old school. And I found an article about a new profession at the time called life coaching. And even though the logical part of my brain said, you're 23 years old, who the hell is going to hire a 23 year old life coach? This is nuts. You can't even hold down a job. 
I also couldn't deny that something lit up inside of me like a friggin' Christmas tree. It was like those moments where you feel like the angels are trumpeting and the clouds are parting and sunbeams are just shooting at you. That's how I felt about this profession. And even though it sounded nuts, I signed up for a three-year coach training program and I started doing my studies at night while I was working at the magazine during the day. And it was Condé Nast, so that was like a lot, you know, a lot of prestige. It was a deal. And uh, so about six months into my coach training, I got a call from the HR department at Vogue. They wanted to give me a promotion. So this was more money. This was more prestige. And of course, you know, I still had all this debt. I was living in New York City in a tiny little one-room apartment. So that seemed attractive, but that was my fork in the road. It was like, okay, either I'm going to jump ship, start my own business, a weird life coaching business. Or stay on the track and do Vogue. And of course, I quit and uh, went back to what I did to help put myself through school, which was bartending, waiting tables, being a personal assistant, doing everything I could possibly do to keep a roof over my head while I started my coaching business during the day. And that was like the year 2000. It's amazing. And I love that story about crying and leaving and calling your parents because it's so funny because I maybe this is like a similar journey, but... I remember I went to college in Worcester, Massachusetts. I went to the College of the Holy Cross my first year, and all I wanted to do was get to New York City. And so I applied to transfer to NYU and basically was like, got in and had to like call my mom. I was crying hysterically because I had a really good scholarship to that school and like moving would have been like this whole big thing. And obviously the scholarship wasn't as good at NYU, like all these things. And I just was so upset. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I got into NYU and I want to go. And they were just like, of course, go. Like, and it was weird. It's like you need that, like a little bit of the permission from the people who like have put you, like, you know, have given you these opportunities. Um, but it's nice to know, like, when you get that support. And I think it's kind of the same thing when you're running your own business. Like, you need those people that are sort of like, you got this. Yeah. Um, especially when you feel crazy to be like, I'm turning down Vogue to start my own life coaching company. Like, I feel yeah. like that's a huge, a huge ask and something that obviously was a big deal. But I mean, this actually gets into sort of my first question was, What are some of the negotiations women have to make to be successful and make it to the top? And it sounds like that was a negotiation you made with yourself. Like, I'm not going to take this like prestigious job and I'm going to try and make this happen. But what are what are some of the negotiations you think people have to make and, and women specifically to get to be successful? Well, I want to talk about this in two phases. So one, things never to negotiate, right? Things that are kind of off the table. So one is your integrity. (laughs) Second is your self-worth. And I would say your intuition. Like I am so grateful, Jackie, that my mom taught me about the fact that I have this small voice inside that will always lead me in the right direction if I have the courage to listen to it. So I'd say in terms of never negotiate, those are a few. But then in terms of things to really negotiate, I think there's two pieces to keep in mind. One is what stage are you at in your career? So going back to that time, right, when you're first starting out, when you need to build experience, when you need to build a network and skills, my recommendation is to worry less about money. Like I was happy to do a lot of things for free or less than free. I'd even pay. I'd take a loss if I had an opportunity to participate in a meaningful way with people I admired. I do think proximity is power. If there were people that I knew I could learn from, experiences that I felt were crucial to some part of my growth, I just went for it, even if it was going to cost me money, even if it was going to put me in more debt. I also think, though, as you get more confidence, as you get a little bit more advanced in your career, I think that's when you can start to 
push, right, on things like money. And if you're someone who has to show up someplace and you get to ask for people to take care of you in a certain way because you're running a big company and you don't want to schlep on five trains to get somewhere, they can send a car service. So I think you have to be contextual in that sense. But I do want to say this as a caveat. It is important at any stage of your career to keep the big picture in mind. Even if you're someone who's more seasoned, um, you've been around the block a few times, you have certainly earned your place, it's not always about the money. And I'll give you a concrete example. As someone who speaks and can speak for a living, you know, and people say, what's your speaker fee? There's going to be times when the opportunity presents itself to you that you should never talk about money. So, for example, when Oprah asks you to speak at her <laughs> event, you are not asking what they are paying. You're like, yes, Oprah. And when would you like me there? And would you like me to dance and skip on stage? Now, that just might be my particular perspective because I love and admire that woman. I, and think, that's, makes- I think that's everyone's perspective. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, there are those, and this is, we can get into this a little bit later, but I, I can't even believe sometimes when I see the, the real hate or criticism of her online, I just, it's like a a palm to forehead moment. I'm like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with your life that you don't, you don't have to love her, but she's done a lot for a lot of people. Anywho, but I, I think in terms of negotiating, those are some things to consider your career stage and also the bigger picture. What could you get by participating in this particular interaction? Mm. Absolutely. And okay, so knowing all this and like, let's just have this debate out right now. Do you think women can have it all? Loaded question, obviously. So I have a loaded answer alert. I know it is. It really is a loaded question. And I actually love talking with this, especially um, to you. So first of all, I think that phrase you know, women having it all, I think there's actually something problematic in that phraseology. And here's what I mean. When, when I looked at this question, it feels like it's always asked in connection to women. And oftentimes, and maybe this is my own perception is the subtext is usually that most of us are failing to have it all or questioning whether or not we're doing it right. And by the way, this is not about you asking me this question. This is just me thinking about it because I have thought about it over the years in so many different ways. I even looked at like early writings, Jackie, that I did myself right in, in my early twenties in my coaching business. And that phrase was in there like, yes, we can have it all. So I've, I've certainly, um, been the proponent of it. But as I've gotten older, I've realized a few things. One, I have a fair number of male friends and I've never heard them discussing this. Never. Exactly. never heard them. And I think it's because, right, we still live in a society that pressures women to fit into this ancient script of having kids and being married and now having this power career or this power business. And I think it's all bullshit. But if we tackle that question head on, I think what's most important is for each of us to define what having it all means. So for me, I have what I want in my life, which is friends, a thriving business, people I love. What I don't have, I don't have biological kids because I've never wanted them. I'm not married, even though I am in a committed relationship and we've been together for 15 years and he is my person on the planet. Now, my life is not perfect by any means, but I'm actively engaged in projects that light me up. And at this stage in the game, I say no to a lot of things. Like it's either a hell yes or a hell no. So I think women should focus on defining what success looks like and feels like to them right now, and then having the courage to live that life. 
versus what they see on Instagram or what they see on the cover of Fortune or Entrepreneur or any other magazine. So I'm curious to hear your point, your perspective on this one. I love that so much. And like, all I want is like every woman who's listening to this podcast is to go out and just ask a man, do you think you can have it all? Like, I just think it's it's almost it's like laugh out loud funny, which is like the point. Right. Like it's so absurd to think about. Um, But it's funny because, you know, even I got I was doing an interview with someone um, like a well-known publication and it was about my business and create and cultivate and all these things. And then they asked for photos of me and my my husband for like the piece. And I was like, why? Like, why is that relevant? Like, would you ask a guy for his marriage photos? But I think the point was they wanted to be like, look, she's successful and got married. But it's like, I I think it's, and again, it was like not meant to be offensive on their end at all. It just like was programmatic. Like we're going to keep telling the narrative of like, you can do this and this is what this is. And I think that's just so, it's so antiquated and I totally agree. And I think all is very relative and like for me what all is you know it's all these things that it's you know for me success is important to me in my career but more importantly being well respected and and well known in my career field um having family and health and all these things you know those are what what's important to me and like yeah and guess what like those things ebb and flow and they're good some months and they're bad some months but at the same time I'm happy with what I have and where I'm at and I think that's exactly right and I think I just think that's the most hilarious thing. And I I just think it would be hilarious if some of our readers did that and told us what guys said and if they were totally like, what are you talking about? Um, I feel like we should do it. You know what we're going to do one night in L.A. together? We're going to go out. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. And just like every guy just start. What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. So do you think you can have it all? Like. We're but totally yeah. doing this, by the way. We are absolutely doing this, and we're going to record it, and we're going to it will, it will publish be our findings. All right. Well, we'll get back to everyone here who's listening on how that goes. But for now, let's get back to Oprah. Um, so Oprah has called you a thought leader for the new generation. I mean, first of all, congrats! Like, it's amazing. But one of the things I love about you is you are so confident you know to get where you want to go without burning other people along the way, which I think is so important. But one of the things that comes with confidence is I think a lot of people don't understand how to get it. So one, how, where do you think your confidence comes from? Do you think confidence is something that can be taught? And how do you sort of like think about confidence when it comes to business? So what's so interesting about this is I want to also say, just to be real, that I absolutely believe in myself and I am one of the most insecure people. So I have both. I am this crazy, weird paradox. And I think part of where my confidence comes from is because I have no filter. So when I don't know something or if I don't think something might be good or I'm curious about someone else's opinion, I can't stop myself from asking, right? So if I'm in a room and people start having a conversation and the words are going over my head, I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, wait, I missed all of that. Sorry, Jersey girl, I'm educated, but I know nothing about what you just said. Slow it down, explain it to me, fifth grade level, go. And I think (laughs) that helps people go like, oh, okay, great. And they just keep going. So I feel like being transparent about my insecurities, things that I don't know, places where I am unsure, paradoxically gives me more confidence, if that makes any kind of sense. No, I love that. I think that's a great, I mean, exactly. Like, I think it's a, it's good to get to a point where you're like, okay, 
break that down for me. I don't understand what you mean. I, I, I think that is empowering, especially if you're coming at it from that perspective of like, educate me and then I'm going to know and then I'm going to go forward with that information and be more confident in my next, you know, meeting or whatever it might be. So I, I actually love that. Um, yeah. So negotiation, a lot of the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about negotiation, obviously, is money. So, you know, we've talked about this before, but for women, money can really be a four letter word. It can be an uncomfortable topic. But you had this amazing quote I'm going to read. You said, I think money is amazing. It is the most incredible tool that you can use, not only to take care of yourself and your family, but more importantly, that you can use to funnel to your ideas and causes and real problems in this world that take resources to help fix. I just thought that was so beautifully said and and, and kind of an amazing way to sort of look at it. But why do you think it's important for women to start thinking about money as power and as an important tool? This all comes back to my own childhood when I saw my parents get divorced and I was about eight years old and my mom was crying hysterically. I had no idea what was going on, but I'd never seen her in the state she was in. And I just want to say this quick story because it's become so emblematic and I've seen this Jackie now over working with literally tens of thousands of people, especially women where my mom was shaking me and she was like, don't ever let a man control your money. Don't be dumb like I was take control of your life, take control of your money, and don't make the same mistakes I did. That whole experience at eight years old when your mom's kind of shaking you and she's losing it emotionally, like it made an imprint on me that I will never forget. And so my life, so much of my career has been around sharing this message because I've gone through the journey myself of being horrible with money and having so much debt and so much scarcity around it and just being fearful of it and not understanding how any of it works to now at a point in my career, well, not only do I love money, Jackie, and I know when I say that, a lot of people are like, are you allowed to say that? Is someone going to come arrest you? I'm like, no, I love money and I have a lot of it and I'm very proud of it and I share it and I spread it and I use it for good. And I have noticed how I've changed as a woman over the years as I've grown my wealth. And I've also seen other women come into their own as they have gained financial skills, as they have grown their wealth, and as they have shared it through causes, their family, whatever is important to them to give opportunity to others. When I see them do that, I've watched them change. And I mean, we know this, right, from from the research and the statistics, especially in the developing world. When women make more money, they're, I think it's like 90% more likely to reinvest in their community. They have less children. The children they do have have better educations. Everyone has better health care. It's like all of the outcomes for their nuclear family, the community, the larger economies and the world gets better. So it's like there's no losing when we give women money on no level. (laughs) I love that answer. And I, I totally agree. I mean, I think even like I always say, and there's a chapter in the book about this, but paying it forward in in the sense that like if you're making money and your job or company requires you to hire other people, like hiring women, empowering small business owners, like this is the cycle that we need to create. And I think that's so important. Um, So want to talk a little bit about equal pay, which is obviously such a buzzy topic, but a 2014 study found that the average female CEO of a social enterprise pays herself 
23% less than the average male CEO, uh, which is about in line with corporate America's pay gap, essentially. So one of the things about equal pay is that people don't know how to approach it, right? So if you're in a company right now and you're like, I mean, do I make as much as Joe makes or whatever? Um, What is your advice for women who are trying to close the wage gap essentially in their current job or ask for a raise or come to the table asking for a raise? Yes, I think it's really important because it does get weird, right? You can't just pull that guy over and say, hey, how much are you making? Right, exactly. (laughs) And then take that in. So it's like we need to focus on what we can control, not what we can't. And here's what I think we can control. First of all, doing outstanding freaking work, which I know, you know, all of us, we probably do. But I always think it's good to reaffirm that, right? It's like we're bringing our A game all the time. And then when we do ask for more money, challenging ourselves to go with a number that's at least... 25 to 40% higher than we initially think we should. Why? When you start with that higher number, first of all, we have an ability, right, to close that, what, 23% gap. (laughs) We need to start closing that real soon. But more importantly, you have room to negotiate down, especially if you're in an employee situation. Now, of course, this assumes that you should over, they're going to be able to over deliver on what you're delivering for that money. But I have seen both as a business owner and when I'm advising people and supporting them and growing their wealth, ask for more, ask for more. I can't tell you how many times, even as a woman who hires women, when women don't negotiate, you know, and I'm like, wait, what's happening here? Because I interviewed a guy and he's trying to negotiate all over the place. Right. So I think we need to support each other in pushing things higher, again, whether you're an employee or especially as you're an entrepreneur, we can talk more about that. But I think focusing on that and then, you know, when you are asking for a raise, I think it is important to document why. Why do you deserve it? What value are you bringing to the table? What have you done for the company lately and what are you planning to do that's gonna add to that bottom line? Um, As a boss, I will tell you this, and as someone who runs a a nice size company, you know, when people just expect raises because they've been around for a little while, I don't think that's valid. I don't think just putting in time, showing up nine to five is a reason to get a raise. I think that as women, we go, no, we're gonna come to the table and say, hey, here's the value I've delivered, here's what I, I'm going to deliver over this next year or this next two years. And here's what I want to be paid for it. And here's why. I love that. I think that's so true, too. I mean, I think and I, I don't necessarily think younger generations know that. Like, I think they're like, OK, every year I get a raise or every six months I have a review. But honestly, you can get a raise any old day if you walk into the office and you have proof, a concept, a plan, an action. Like, I think it's really just about coming to the table and showing your worth and value. And then also what you're planning to bring to the table, like in the year ahead. I I think that's really great. That's right. Because I will tell you this, any employee that comes to me and says, Hey, here's how I've helped improve our bottom line, whether it's making money or saving money. And I consider saving money, like making money. Any of those are good and say, like you like you share, Jax, like here's my plan, here's what I see we can do, and here's what I'm projecting we can add in terms of revenue or profit or whatever the KPIs are that matter to your boss. You go in like that, like a partner, looking for what you can give, not what you can get, people will be happy to give you a raise. A thousand percent. 
So obviously we're talking about negotiations and taboo topics and things like that. So we tackled equal pay. Um, The next one I want to tackle a little bit is obviously the rise of the Me Too movement. So I know at least for my generation, one of the negotiations I had to make was dealing with ageism, sexism, casual sexual harassment. It was something that I brushed off many a time and kept moving forward and was sort of par for the course. Um, But obviously that's coming to a screeching halt now. Um, But that being said, what are some of the taboo topics that you feel actually should be discussed at work? Because I know, you know, obviously, you know, our company, it's we talk about it all the time because it's so impactful to our community. But if you're in a corporate you know, job that has nothing to do with, you know, women or women's movement, um, you know, it might feel uncomfortable to talk about those topics. But are there any that you feel are important to bring to the table in a workplace environment? Well, I don't think generally speaking, I think it's about what resonates in your heart what is happening in the world that has some relationship to your company, to your workplace, to your customer base, right? There's got to be some type of relationship or connection where you can then open up or broach a conversation. And I honestly think, Jackie, that almost any conversation can be broached if it's framed correctly. So let's say, for example, you want to talk about inclusion and diversity in the workplace because you feel like there's an opportunity for growth there in the company that you work with. I would not suggest making your bosses or the company wrong. Never try to motivate others through fear or shame. I think that's a losing proposition. On the flip side, though, you could frame the conversation and open it up, whether it's to a manager or to HR or, you know, depending on the corporate structure, where you could highlight it as, hey, let's have a discussion. I think there's an opportunity for growth here. Do your homework on the issue. Cite studies. And then also be willing to be the one that's going to do the work needed to create that change. So I feel like, you know, there's so many things that could break our heart about what's happening in the world. And each of us, if we tap into our own hearts and say, hey, what really lights us up? You know, for some people, it might be like, I want to have more, you know, cruelty free or animal free products in our lunchroom. If that's what floats your boat, dude, go for it. (laughs) Picking the issue that means something to you and that you think could be connected to your organization or your customer base, I think that's the channel to go through. And then it's all about framing it. I love that. I think that's so accurate. And, you know, you've been really vocal on why it's important to not stay quiet on social issues that are near and dear to your heart, even if it is controversial, um, which I think is really admirable. Um, So you obviously reach hundreds of thousands of millions of women through all of your channels and programs and offerings and things like that. In talking to these women, what is on the mind of the modern working woman? What is weighing them down and what do you think is moving them forward? Weighing them down is pretty easy. Consistently, I feel and hear and see and even in myself, right, feeling like there's too damn much to do, like people are drowning, like they're not good enough, like they can't keep up, they're trying to keep their head above water. I think as wonderful as, you know, social media can be, I think there's also a real dark side to it. And I think as business owners and even as professionals, right, if you're working within a company, everyone is also trying to simultaneously build their own brand because that's part of what you have to do in today's world. It can feel like a lot between, you know, wanting to, wow, I need to meditate and I have to work out and then eat well and then have this great career and friends and then all these postings on social, you're like, oh my God, stick a fork in my eye. So I think that's probably the thing that's weighing (laughs) a lot of women down, right? Is feeling spread too thin and just underwater, not knowing where to focus. In terms of moving them forward, I think anytime I talk to a woman 
about working towards a future for her that includes more freedom, so more time freedom, more location freedom, more independence, and honestly, the giving of less bucks. I see women light up, light up, Jackie. They're I mean, like, that sounds oh, amazing. I get that. <laughs> Like, how do we all get to the island of uh, less fucks? Uh, <laughs> buy me a one-way ticket. I'm ready to go. Like Aperol spritz and some really good dance. Where the Aperol spritz flows like water. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's so true. I mean, I think that could not have been more accurate. I mean, honestly, I feel that way. I think it's like you're constantly drowning. You're trying to keep up. I mean, which again, sometimes a good problem because, uh, you you know, you have a lot of things going on. But I think it's so true. It's like we're all trying to work for this. We're all trying to work so hard to get to a place where we have more time to do the things we want. And it's like this kind of vicious circle. Um, and it's really hard to navigate. And and I think, you know, again, like you said, social media, blessing and a curse, 100 percent. So yeah. this is obviously very open ended, but. What advice would you give to women who are looking for tips on how to negotiate? Like, what are some of your just like 101 tips on how to approach negotiation? So I would go back to what we said earlier, because it's so important. You know, when you're asking, always ask for more. If you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about how to price your products or services, this is a rule of thumb that I would encourage everyone to adopt. Please borrow it from me. Be expensive, but worth it.com expensive, but worth it.com because I do think profit margins can solve a whole bunch of issues that a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize until they get themselves into a pricing bind. But back to negotiation, thinking about how can you have this be win-win? How can you put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're negotiating with and really step into their emotional reality? What is it that they most want? And I have to tell you, it's not always about less money, meaning trying to get the least price or the highest price, depending on what side of the table you're on. Really looking to understand what could make this experience a win for them. Is it feeling respected? Is having things be really easy? Is it connections to other people? So don't always look at money as the only currency. It's only one piece of the puzzle. So getting into the shoes of the person you're negotiating with and embodying them emotionally and psychologically, that's a really important tool to help you create and even imagine or innovate win-win situations on the negotiating table. I'd also also say this when it comes to um, leaving negotiations right sometimes you just can't make a deal or in a slightly different context sometimes you have to part ways whether it's with a boss an employee a vendor uh, someone who you're in a professional relationship with I would say this on your way out of the relationship behave like it was the beginning we all know that at the start of any relationship, we're all like sending each other heart emojis. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I love you. All of the energy is there. But oftentimes when we're out the door because something has either went sour, which of course happens, or you're just over it, a lot of us can forget how important it is to end strong. And so for me, I've had many different beginnings and endings. And the lesson that I've learned the most is when you're ending a relationship, even if stuff has gotten weird or shitty, be like Michelle Obama, go high when they go low and end on a high note because you never know when you're going to see that person again. Oh, 
thousand hundred million percent. I, I mean, it's honestly it, and again, that's something that you learn over time, I think. And I think it's hard when you're very emotional and and, and yeah. tied to something. Not it's, easy. it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy. I mean, uh, my favorite is best wishes or best of luck, like moving forward, which I feel like is a very good like I wish you like good things, even though this didn't work out between us. And like, you know, hopefully we can work together in the future is also another great way to kick that off but let's wrap with some sentence finishers so on monday morning at 7 a.m you find me at having coffee and writing absolutely getting caffeined up and with my fingers on my keyboard (laughs) are you like an early bird at 7 a.m like early for you or are you up at like five um, sometimes it's around like the five thirty or the six. I usually try my best to stay in line with circadian rhythms, which happens most effectively if I'm not in New York city. If I'm in New York city, I feel like I'm in a cave. Mm-hmm. Any other place where I spend time, it's like I rise with the sun and I, you know, I'm, I'm not staying up late anymore. Those 1am nights, 2am nights. That was, that's long gone. <laughs> oh, I can't even remember the last time I stayed up past midnight. It's so embarrassing. Like my husband always jokes, like every new year's, he's like, well, another one where we're in bed before midnight. I'm like, cool. We're losers. It's fine. Can I just tell you, we're going to go to the next sentence furniture, but I have a new thing. My whole life now, when it comes to new year's, I'm all about new year's day. New Year's Day is the new New Year's Eve. Couldn't agree more. I'm like day drinking. I can get down with as long as I like (laughs) I like sober up by time. It's 5 p.m. And then I'm in bed and I get my eight hours and I'm fine. Um, It's so, so lame. But anyway, um, the most compelling interview I've ever done. I would say the most fun one was with my friend um, Elizabeth Gilbert when her book Big Magic came out. We laughed our way through that one. It was a blast. And also Brene Brown. She is, I just adore her. I love her. And our interview was amazing. I love her so much. And if you haven't seen the interview between Brene Brown and, and Marie, it's it's amazing. So definitely go watch that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. The advice I would give my 24-year-old self. Take more pictures, girl. You were cute. What are you doing? Take more pictures. It's so true. I literally, well, again, we didn't grow up in like, at least I didn't grow up in the iPhone generation. I'm like digging through old photos. I'm like, God, I I remember being so self-conscious and I was like, you are such a babe. Yes. And, And you know what? I feel like this is for every woman listening, no matter what age you're at right now. It's like, enjoy it. It's real good. Like we're so hard on ourselves when we look in the mirror and, you know, just as the eight, as the years go by, I'm like, Looking back a year, two, three, four, five ago, I'm like, you're cute. What were you so hard on yourself for? Stop it. It's so true. And it's also like one of those things where my mom was like never in any of the photos. Like if your mom get in the photos. Okay. (laughs) The most important thing to remember when starting a business is. Never start a business just to make money. Start a business to make a difference. Thank you so much for your time, Marie. That was so much fun. Oh, it was great. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on. Party on.